friends, thanks for tuning in again to The Doctor Is In, but actually it's The Doctors Are In today because Dr. Judy Norman is with me again. We had such a blast last time, we decided to make a regular go of it. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen every month or every few months, but she's going to be with me on a regular basis now to to discuss the issues together about um, what what what's happening at the intersection of health and human trafficking and it's great. So today we're focusing our attention on healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, other even administrators, people working uh, in the reception, anyone who's working at this intersection of of health. And we're going to talk about how not to be a jerk. Uh, so basically trauma-informed uh, care for doctors and you know, because there's a lot of things that, you know, we do that can be harmful, even in the course of doing our regular duties. And, and it's entirely unintentional. But we're going to give some examples, we're going to talk about this space, we're going to talk about, you know, what does it look like as, as, as a physician or a nurse or someone who's setting up a clinic, either directly for um, people who are sexually broken, or people in prostitution, or, or, survivors of sex trafficking, or how we can work in some of these principles into your regular practice. And so thank you for joining. I'm so glad. Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast on Podbean or wherever you get your podcast or to my YouTube channel. I really appreciate it. So we'll get going and uh, hope you enjoy this. So yeah, so just to introduce Judy again, Judy's, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Judy Norman. I'm an OB-GYN physician from the States. I've been in Cambodia for almost nine years. Um, I unintentionally uh, developed an interest in in engaging in anti-trafficking here uh, just through patient care and through working with other NGOs here. So we have a women's health care program out of our hospital. Um, My main focus there is teaching our Cambodian doctors and nurses and healthcare workers but we as a team uh, work with NGOs who are on both the prevention and the post-rescue and the reintegration and the job training aspects of uh, We also work with some uh, street workers, some drop-in centers, and uh, we kind of have a big picture of potential farm workers and active street workers and and everybody in between. Um, So, had some in-person real life experience uh, beyond what we've read and what we've, what we've discussed. Yeah. So between you and I, uh, we've, we have quite a lot of experience, a lot of, of uh, learning and sometimes learning the hard way, I think. And uh, so we're not saying we're experts, uh, but as a good friend of mine likes to say that we are lead learners and that we are, we want to, take this opportunity to share some of our experience and some of our knowledge uh, with you and how you can develop your practice or your hospital or the way you're dealing with patients in the everyday to help you do what you do better. Because that's our goal is to make this a, I'm losing my cord here. Um, Yeah, to make this just a better world for the people that we serve because it's important. And, you know, we're, the focus here is on human trafficking, slavery, uh, exploitation, but a lot of what we're going to say here really applies to anyone who's uh, experienced uh, chronic trauma. Um, and 
who may be sensitive and and may need uh, some extra help or or exhibit signs and symptoms that may not lead to a history of being trafficked, but definitely chronic abuse, um, domestic violence, things like that. Uh, but our focus is mostly and examples is mostly about human trafficking or um, sexual exploitation, such as prostitution. So. Um, we're going to offer some anecdotes, some, some papers, some all kinds of things here. And so, you know, one of the things that I started, how I got started in doing this is because I was seeing, you know, I was working with organizations and I was working with doctors and they'd say like, well, they'd ask me, so, Hey, Dr. Catherine, could you come and help see some of our women? And because they don't want to see the doctor, but, you know, but I think they, I think they'd see you. And I said, what? They don't want to see the doctor? Why, why don't, you know, and this is, this is an organization reaching out to prostitutes in, in Bangkok. And, you know, they were like, well, why don't they want to see the doctor? I mean, what's wrong with us? <laughs> you know, like, why, why wouldn't they? Like, I, I'm, I'm an American and my, my tie is good, but, you know, I'm not fluent. And uh, what could I have? to offer um, that the Thai doctors don't have. And this is sort of a naive way of looking at it. And, you know, a lot of the doctors were like, yeah, I mean, why, what's wrong with the way that we do things? And some of the questions I get is like, well, if it was so terrible, why don't they ask for help? Or, right? Or if, or if they want help, why do they lie so much, right? This is another question that I'll hear from some of my colleagues. And, you know, these kinds of questions put blame on the victim um, as well. But, you know, I wanted to explore, well, what is it about the way that they're practicing that makes it not so pleasant experience? So I don't know if you have anything to add or similar experiences there. Yeah, we, we all know the phrase first do no harm. Yeah. And we go through our medical training, wherever it is, we, we are taught a very specific set of, of what that means. And you know, we ask open-ended questions and we take a good history and we find out about the patient's background and, and we're trying to get questions so our history is complete and we're doing a full physical exam. Um, and, and all of that's first do no harm, we think is approaching how we treat with medicine or, or how we uh, do surgery or not. But first do no harm may actually involve the first words out of our mouth or the questions we ask. And um, for, for victimized or trafficked people, oftentimes sharing the story again re-traumatizes them. They're going through the emotions and the feelings, and it's a PTSD reaction, um, and it's significant, and it's significant. Um, and what, what we've found, um, we work with multiple different NGOs, um, especially the younger the victim or the the more prolonged time that they were in a trafficking situation, the harder it is for younger people to even recognize what was done to them or to be able to tell a history. Um, 12 year old shouldn't have to tell you, yes, she's had sex. How many people have she had sex with in the last year? We, those are the questions we ask for assessment of risk for gonorrhea and chlamydia. That's the CDC question. Asking a 12-year-old girl who's been trafficked how many people have she had sex with, sex with in the past three to six months is, is harmful. So when we, we have a, what we call referring partners that are individuals or people that bring patients 
through our clinic. And when we have certain NGOs that we work with, and when they bring in a group of girls, we automatically give all of those girls presumptive treatment for gonorrhea and chlamydia. We don't ask about sex. We offer them education about women's health system, uh, women's health care. We talk to them about normal bodily functions. We present the information about sexually transmitted disease. And so we're giving education that they can choose to receive. And then when they get one-in-one -one with the doctor, we just simply say, is there anything I can do for you? Do you want me to do a physical exam? Is it okay if we drop blood? And if they don't want anything done in, a, in terms of a physical exam, we can still do presumptive treatment. If they will give you a little bit of history, but don't want a physical exam, and they say, well, I've just got some itching and burning, we can do syndromic treatment based on what they tell you. They want to do a physical exam, but they don't want to tell you why. You can, you can. So we've learned that when we are more aware of where they've come from, either through the the partner that brings them or through the situation that brings them to us, health questions should stop. Um, and really, we need to be available without being as invasive as a normal, healthy healthcare relationship would seem to be. Exactly. Um, and that's hard. And it's retraining. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of uh, thinking very carefully before you speak. Yep. Is this question necessary? Yep. Is it harmful? Will the answer change by management or yes. not? Yeah. And if, if, if the question is coming from curiosity, in any way, shape, or form, yep. it should be asked. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because, um, you know, we can unintentionally, because in the course of doing exams, it's like, okay, come in. And there was a story about even someone in Cambodia going to a, a and the doctor was assuming like, yes, patient autonomy is, is, is very important because, you know, he's learned his good ethics, uh, course in, in medical school or, or in practice and autonomy is important. And so he would refuse, he refused to allow the chaperone. This was someone who was in aftercare assistance and the chaperone was a case manager or social worker from that organization. And he said, well, actually we don't allow someone else. And of course, the patient wanted her in the chaperone kind of said well actually i don't think this is a good idea <laughs> and then the doctor proceeded to then re-traumatize her and set her back in therapy and uh you know and it's just because this 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 person just the doctor you know should not have done that i mean was thinking he was doing the right thing when actually it was you know, just not thing, just like you said, because this was actually, this was not a situation like where we've been in, where we know when certain patients are coming before us, we know it's this organization, we're doing a clinic for them, or they're bringing a patient to us. And we know that because this patient is affiliated with this organization, we already know enough about her history in order to be more aware of what's going on. But, um, but there's going to be times when physicians or nurses or clinics are not going to be aware. Um, right. But and we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of identification here. Um, but there's still principles that we can apply. Um, you know, be, you know, we can unintentionally apply um, 
re-traumatize patients by making assumptions or dismissing them based on dress or behavior. You know, if someone looks like, you know, because they're like, you know, they come in dressed a certain way or not a certain way. And, um, and so they're making assumptions or they're, or, or you think ah, a patient who's acting belligerent, right? Or having this tough girl or this tough boy and putting on a show and putting all kinds of barriers, right? And, you know, that's yeah. that's going to be a patient you probably need to pay more attention to even at the same time where they're not, they're refusing yeah. and resisting trust and resisting that, that doctor-patient right. relationship and not wanting to be vulnerable or tell the truth or something. Because they're, one, afraid, or two, just don't like you, and they're there because they really have a problem that they need to have taken care of, but don't really want to be there. And they, and, and they're often the case where they're, they're either made to go by another organization mm-hmm. or they're trying to meet a very specific need, but do not want to discuss why that need came about. Um, and it, it can be very challenging and it can be, so sometimes it's, can you tell me what brought you here? I just have this pain. I just need some medicine to fix it. Okay. You have any idea where where this pain came from? Doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and if a patient's shutting you down and they have a reason for it, you know, the next question is, are you safe? Is there anything we can do to help you be safe? Sometimes patients will refuse an offer of safety. And again, that's where we have to be aware physicians. Are they in a position that they can't ask for help or they do, not, do they not want help? And there's a lot of intuition and a lot of awareness. I will walk out of the room if a patient's waiting to get a lab drawn or they're, they have to wait for payment or whatever their medications, I might wander out and walk past and just observe from a distance. Are they sitting with somebody else? Are they showing signs of agitation? Do they look comfortable? Is there anybody near them? Do they have a phone? What is their level of autonomy? Um, Or you might ask some support staff or another person who hasn't identified you in the room to go out and make an observation. Have have some questions about that patient. Can you just walk out there and see what's going on? Exactly. Only if you see anything unusual. And we're not breaking confidence to say, put your eye on that person for me. Give me some more insight. Yeah, because and, there's going to be a lot more that you're not seeing when they're in the exam room. Um, yeah. Who is or who is not there and who's outside waiting for them and how do they seem? That's all part of the whole um, gestalt picture. And I just want to reiterate something that you said was that it's accepting no, you know, as an answer and having that be a part of their dignity of, of refusal, because a lot of times in their life, they're not able to say no to the things that they don't want to have done. And of course, as a, as a physician, we wouldn't recommend something we didn't think was good for them, but also understanding that, you know, their no means no, especially to a a physical exam and especially a gynecological exam. Um, but also other kinds of blood draws, but, you know, making sure that they understand what no means, you know, cause when they may not even say, well, can you do a physical exam? And you're like, and they say yes. And they're like, and then you start to, you know, do a very, very invasive physical exam. And it's, and so it's, we have to be a lot more concrete and take more time to explain things. And what do we mean when we say, 
you know, doing blood work or lab work, because they may think, you know, that needle's going to be, you know, several centimeters long and take a half a liter of blood or something. And, and um, being making sure your instructions are a lot more concrete um, and taking more time with the patient. That's another thing that I've heard over and over again. And explain things. Where, what are you going to do? Why do you need to do this? And what's going to happen? And and explaining you things step by step. Things you don't need to do. Exactly. Right? A twenty-four-year-old woman, unless she has a specific complaint, doesn't need a breast exam. Exactly. Why would you don't do it? don't do unnecessary parts of an exam again to check a box on a form and and up your coding for yep. your billing or anything. Only do what's necessary to meet patients. And we. Um, yeah, and that's p- and taking individual, and that's something. individual care. You know, and doctors need yeah. to consider why are they doing the things that they're doing during a physical exam or history taking? Why are they asking this question? Like you said, you know, like that's, you know, of course, that's rule number one. Don't ask out of curiosity. Um, yeah. yeah. And I always start with the easy part of the physical exam. Can I listen to your lungs? Can I listen to your heart? Can I look in your eyes? Is it okay if I look in your ears? And then, you know, you want to let the patient be dressed the patient should be in their clothing when you first talk to them. Never send yeah. somebody else in and get undressed. Put them in a paper gown and have them sitting on a table with their legs in stir. You walk in the room. That's me. I wouldn't let anybody do that to me. No. That's not going to happen. You look me in the eye and you talk to me as a person. Right. And then we'll, we'll go from there. And if I don't like you, we're not going to go. So, so, you know, you should be talking to your individual person as a person before and in the community. Have a conversation with them, give them some education, offer them some care, and then base your on what they accept or don't accept. And I've had a lot of patients who want a physical exam, but again, if they've been traumatized and they're afraid, if they do not want a full GYN exam, I can say, well, I but if you can handle it, I have a swab, and you use a little, you know, a little tiny tip, Q-tip that has a long stick, and you can say if. I can do this for you, or the nurse can, or you can do it yourself if you can put this inside and then I can put this on the microscope and I don't have to actually look inside myself. Um, we can also do HPV tests that way. You can do self-swab for HPV. So there are a lot of things you can do without an invasive GYN exam. Yeah. Um, you can do urine test and, and part of it's on the kitchen. I mostly the time just do microscopy, but I can look at myself right there. Um, some people have NAT testing for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Some people have all sorts of fancy tests, but you can do very basic evaluation without necessarily doing a full physical exam. And again, as you that trust, maybe later that day or another visit, they might be comfortable enough to allow you to do more if they need it. And if they don't need it, then right. um, and that's been the biggest part of our learning. And, um, when we give education, it sometimes, and this seems counterintuitive, found especially for young women and girls who are scared, group education and group visits can make them feel safer. Hey, um, I'm going to hold on, Judy. Your audio is getting worse and worse. Okay. Um, so just want to make sure, like, like it's going to be a little hard for people to pick that up. So... Okay. Um, Let me see if I can switch my, um, I will put my hotspot on because our Wi-Fi has been bad. So let me, 
I mean, it wasn't quite breaking out, but it was getting very, quite faint. Um, okay. Tell me if this is better for you. Yeah, so far, I think we just go. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I hope you can remember where you left off, but it, you were getting to a good point. We could, could barely hear you, so. What was that good point? No, you were talking about, yeah, what was it? <laughs> Um, no, you were talking about just informed consent and going through and then, yeah. Cure, yeah. And one step at a time. And, and again, letting technology be your friend if, you're, if your patient can't handle an exam, do exactly. blood work. And, and you can ask them, is it okay if I look in your blood for HIV, for hepatitis, yep. for syphilis? Um, I'd like to draw blood to check for anemia. Um, we check a urine test. We can look for infections. We can look for pregnancy. We can look for is all of that okay? Yeah. Um, and the patient um, yes or no. And when I've when we've approached it that way, um, we've had patients who we've never heard anybody say no to the to the blood work in the lab. And then again, depending on the patient's age and what they've been through, they may or may not like a partial or physical exam. Yeah. But we can adjust care accordingly. But I was thinking of the group visits. Um, and again, counter to my culture, where we're going to be individualistic and fit. And this would be culturally dependent and situationally dependent. Um, we have found here that a group visit um, makes the women feel safer mm -hmm. because nobody's in it alone. Nobody's the only woman getting a GYN exam. Yep. Nobody's the only person who's getting checked for trichomonas. So we have a group visit where we give very factual education and information at the beginning. This is what we're doing. This is why. Ask questions. And when you open up questions to the group, if one person asks a hard question, yep. all the barriers come down and then everybody else can ask the questions yep. and they can learn from one another as well. I found that also to be true. Yeah. Yeah. We've really found that the group visits inspire confidence yep. from women to each other really is not so much coming from us yeah. as it is from the women sharing. They have a shared experience. They don't have to talk about what shared experience is, but they know they're not alone. Yeah. And, and that gives a sense of safety. And, yeah. um, and, and then they're not as afraid to do parts of the exam that may otherwise scare them because, because they're not doing it alone. Yeah. And another thing that I, I I thought of is that because the education of these girls or or even boys may not be so much, especially in Southeast Asia, when education about sex and anatomy and physiology is really taboo and no one explains it. And yet here they are as young people being sexually exploited and expect to do things they don't even understand or the ramifications of it. And so it's another reason to be more concrete and more explaining about what's going on and why and how they can protect themselves also uh, or what what health is and what's what's normal and abnormal um right. so yeah so that's also I, even when i'm teaching other um the staff of other the organizations that are helping the non-medical staff of some of these organizations because they don't know and yet they're faced with having right. to deal with these things but that'll go a long way you're not just 
explaining for no reason, it's not because they're stupid. It's just because it's really because they don't know and have never been taught properly what is normal um, menstrual cycle or what is normal for their, where, what even are the organs and how do they fit in your body oftentimes. And so, um, so that's yet another reason uh, to be explaining. And even, you know, when I'm explaining HIV, they'll say, no, I don't want an HIV test because I'm afraid of needles. Well, they think the needle's like huge. You know, it's like, I'll show them this little finger prick needle. I'm like, was that all it is? Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and that's, they're like, oh, I'm totally cool with that. Cause I thought you were just going to you know, take a whole bunch of blood. But once you explain what the test is and how it works and how long it takes, you know, cause there are sometimes if I'm doing a clinic, on the in the milieu and they're like oh no i gotta i gotta get back to work i'm like uh this is just five minutes and i'm like oh okay yeah yeah and even the words that we use like sex or hiv versus aids and things like that so a 12 year old girl if you say have you had sex she's gonna say no because she hasn't she was raped right she never chose to have sex she didn't have a boyfriend she's not gonna say yeah because she didn't and so our and we have yeah. the young men who are maybe heterosexual males and you have a girlfriend. If you you have yes, I have a girlfriend, I have sex with my girlfriend. But on the street, they may be yep. male prostitutes that's the only way they can get funds. Right. So asking somebody are you heterosexual or homosexual does not actually identify with we just need to be very specific, very simple and very straightforward with our questions. Again if it's indicated in order to give medical care. And sometimes we don't need to ask those questions and they can come back to us later if, if it's not the right time to ask those questions. Right. And so much depends on how, have, are they coming to you straight up? Is somebody who's coming to you through a rescue organization who's had treatment of counseling? Is this somebody who's going to get a final health checkup before they're getting reintegrated? And so where the somebody is on their right. on their traffic spectrum, it's a big difference in how we can approach a conversation. But you, you had said something about um, words and education. And in Cambodia, they say AIDS. They don't have the word for HIV mm -hmm. differentiate. And of course, if you think AIDS, you think death. Right. And so we have to spend a lot of time actually educating our staff and then our patients and the community. Um, HIV is a people virus. And there's actually really good medications and the, the quality of care on that here is very good to, to where we have people with zero viral load who are living well into normal adult life. So they for HIV and they use the word is mm -hmm. and the patient is afraid because they're afraid of the connotation of dying and death. It's really important to, before we even talk about doing the test, part of our education is on the virus, which is HIV, which may or may not cause AIDS, but actually right now there's really good medicine. This is how we can yep. So if we test for this, this is why we test for it, because this is something we can treat and prevent and actually take really good care of you. So don't be afraid. Yeah. But we have to preface asking to do an HIV test with education about the treatment of HIV, because right. HIV is and the treatment is really good. Um, and that has changed. That's something that was different That's 20 right. or 30 years ago. 
And it's really important for everybody to know their individual context. What's going on in your local community? That's right. What's, what are the healthcare risks in your local community? So if somebody comes in with blisters on their genitalia in your local community, is that more likely to be herpes or yeah. chancroid or chancre or you should know in your community because they may not be able to afford the test that would be required to differentiate and they might not want you to even look. Yep. But you can, you can ask basic questions and, and be educated yourself about what is going on in your community so you know how to do less in-depth health care but still do it very well. That's right. And yeah, I mean, we got to train our whole, it's not just about the doctor or the nurse being trauma-informed or, you know, informed about these issues. You've, you've got to train your staff that are doing the voluntary counseling and testing. You've got to train yeah. your uh, receptionist and things like that. And so I, I, so I want to get into sort of, you know, we've sort of established like in the clinic setting or in the, in the exam room kind of thing, but you know, what, what have you done to set your environment to make it more of a safe space so that, mm. you know, b even before they come into your exam room, you know, what are some ways that we can make that, that environment feel safe? So they're, they're still relaxed when they actually come see you um, in the exam room. Right. Well, we, we've been really privileged. We had uh, donors and we have a separate women's health care clinic. So we've got, you know, our primary care place is very busy, people coming and going, they're men and women, boys and girls, adults and kids, and, and there's a lot of activity and they tend to do a lot of discussion outside. So the nurses will do the triaging. We've got a triage area there, two or three people there, and they're asking the you know, why are you here question and doing their, their blood pressure and their height and their weight out in that um, preceptic area that's, that's semi-open to the public. Um, and that is okay in this culture. In this culture, that's not offensive in a general clinic, but it's certainly not okay for a trauma clinic. We have a area that's a separate area where we can do everything in one place except the main hospital um, where we can bring one person or 10 people, um, and it's safe, it's separate, women's health family. Uh, we have only our team who are trained staff who are there, um, and they only talk in the room with the patient when I'm on, so all the history and the vital signs are done there, the labs are done there, the patient doesn't have to go back and forth to the different locations yeah. we try to And again, that is we, we were having the funding for that. And that is a not easy thing to achieve, I understand. You can't always have a perfect facility. Um, right. space. But even they yeah. walk up straight to the exam room and do your intake history and do your vital signs in the room with the door closed rather than out there. Yeah. Those little things matter. Exactly. You know, and, and it's establishing safety or you're a safe location. You happen to be in a clinic, but then you have a women's clinic, which is sort of you're not going to have, you know, that's not access. So you're not going to have a whole bunch of men in the waiting room or. Yeah. And so you do what you can with the things that you have um, and trying to maximize those those points. Um, and, and again, even in the if you have one person who is your uh, the if you have a team and you have an established team that, that does trauma-informed care and they can bring somebody back gently and walk them through 
bypassing some of the systems. We all like to have our systems and you go to desktop ECD. And if we can in whatever way works with your situation to allow the person to feel in a, in a smaller situation and a less open situation, they're yeah. going to But even in your situation, it's having the staff treating everybody the same and being warm and welcoming to everyone. I mean, because it's a women's clinic, so you could have women from all kinds, walks of life and, and demographics there. But having, you know, your staff trained to treat everyone the same and think not less of somebody or more of another person. Um, yeah. And that and comes down to your staff, all of us exactly. really loving the people for who they are. And 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 I don't know if that's such training as, as really a heart of a question. And hopefully all of us who are in healthcare, and again, we would hope that if we're in healthcare, we're in a, a situation where we are there to serve, that we're doing because of a heart of compassion. And honestly, at the time, yeah. you shouldn't be working. You shouldn't be on this call. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're interested, the heart of compassion should be where you're starting from. Sure. Yeah, a couple other things I thought of when we were doing our clinics in Bangkok, we offered snacks. And, you know, while they were waiting for the exam, waiting to see the doctor, there was usually some music. Um, they had fingernail painting. They had some snacks and just helping people just, you know, and they were coming off the street. So they got a chance to sit down and relax and have some yeah. snacks or do their nails and and just chit chat in with the the people that they knew and some of the staff and also offering resources and I think that's important whether it's sort of posters on the wall or having you know numbers available that they can look at they know that oh this clinic and and it may not be really pertinent to you and it wasn't pertinent to our you know, our um, clinic in Bangkok, but, you know, if you put up posters that say, hey, you know, if this is, if you're in a hard situation, we get this. And it's sort of a signal that's saying, you can talk to us if you're in a rough spot, you know, if your boyfriend's beating you up, or if you're being forced to do something that you don't know, you don't have to. And so that might, without asking directly, you know, when we talked about asking directly these hard questions, it is a signal that, you know, when we ask, we can ask a question saying, has anyone forced you to do something that you don't want to do or touched you inappropriately? And so if they've already been primed by some of the posters that are, it's like, okay, these, these people seem to kind of get my situation maybe. And so they might be more willing to answer that question. Um, and that there's, you know, if they need a phone number because of people to help that you're not giving them something that could be discovered by a trafficker or something, but it might be something that they could enter in their phone, right in the waiting room and they could save it under a different name or something like that. Or, um, yeah, there's all kinds of things. And so those are, those are other ways that sort of having the whole environment, um, speak safety, um, and not, just, you know, in the exam room or having only the doctor um, understanding these things. Um, yeah, actually, that's what, we haven't done that yet. We have, we have little handouts, but sometimes people can't take a handout. Sometimes exactly. they can't. Or, or they can't read. They <laughs> can't read and, and phone numbers and, and again, having multiple different ways to make, make, again, a lot of it's making yourself available and being much as possible the person who's open so that they feel like there's they they 
there's a safe enough space that they can ask. Yep, yep. Um, but I think you know, on the on the other on the other hand, sometimes we do want to be careful about you know not asking inappropriate questions. But at the same time, when there's red flags, that we do need to follow up um, with something. And I want to read this. So there was an article, and I can uh, post the reference in the show notes. But this was um, a quote from one of the women who was being interviewed, a survivor of sex trafficking. And, you know, she said, you know, so the Planned Parenthood visits, this was from America. So the Planned Parenthood visits for, for periodic checks for STDs, basically, that's sexually transmitted diseases. And when I went in there, one of the questions what they would ask was, how many sex partners have you had in the last 30 days? And I would always say, I don't know, maybe 50. And then they didn't make any comment about it at all. And then I'd say, oh yeah, I'm an escort. And they wouldn't say anything about it. And I thought, this is such bullshit. And they just basically handed me, you know, they always handed me condoms. They would literally hand me like hundreds of them. And that was an anonymous quote by someone who was being interviewed about what would you like to tell doctors about how they can do their job better to help people, you know, as a survivor, how can you help people like in your situation? And I was pretty profound because, you know, I think we can do harm by not asking the questions that we need to ask. Um, and, and, you know, there's this, and not everyone's perfect. I think we need to understand that there's no perfect way, but there's harm both ways. And we need to pick up, we need, we need to ask these questions, like, because you can normalize the questions when they're in there for an STD check. You know, it's a completely normal question. And they can be honest or not be honest. You know, how many sex partners have you had in the last month? Okay, that's a fair question. Because then you can normalize it. We always ask everyone of these. But then when they're saying some outrageous number, like, oh, too many to count, like, ding, ding, ding. I think, you know, hello, uh, doctor, nurse practitioner, or whoever you are, um, please follow up on that. Um, yeah. Please so. care, care enough to say something on the lines of, okay, is that by choice? Yep. Or right. how would you how would you go about that question? Like, what would be your follow up question for that? Yeah, and you're like, oh, well, that sounds like a you know you, you but I would say something like, um, well, you're an escort, and is that something that you know are you alone in this enterprise, or are you or is this something that's being forced on you, or are you ever forced to do things that you don't want to do, and you know follow up on that because. You know, in, in the States, an escort could be legit or could not be, you need, but it is something that you need to explore more because then, you know, it, it's, and, and try to normalize uh, your questions and say, well, what wow, that sounds like a lot, you know, right. wow, wow, that, that sounds like, you know, that sounds like more than, you know, you're having, that's, you know, that sounds like quite a lot. Can you tell me more about that? Or is that something that you, is that, does, that's concerning to me. Is that concerning to you? You know, like, you know, that kind of thing. And is that, you know, or what's, what's going on there and trying to ask open-ended questions, um, trying not to act surprised because then, you know, that wouldn't also, that would not be your curiosity would be like, okay, this is really related to your sexual health and your in your overall well being, because if you are being forced into being an escort, for example, then you know, that's something that we really need to deal with. And so that's the difference when I first said not asking when they've already come through an organization exactly. where we all know what's happening. 
versus you're just meeting somebody on the front end of something. And that's, again, part of that is really being aware yep. where, uh, of what who your patient is and where they're coming from. And yeah, lots of different scenarios where, where our specific discussions have to be quite different depending on the individual patient situation. Exactly. Um, and, 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 and it's normal, again, but it's normal for patients not to be honest. Like you can ask a follow-up question and then they'll just miss it. But then, because for someone, I mean, they've been confronted with something that, wow, like someone actually might know, someone actually might care. And that might be unsettling. And so they may respond with not the whole truth, but then they'll think about it later and they'll say, oh, whiz. I mean, it, you know, how they survive, a lot of people survive by lying um, and, yeah. and not, and so, but there'll be a signal. So if you follow up and then they give you a question, they give you an answer that doesn't quite fit. It's like, okay, well, if you ever want to talk more about this in the future, um, you can always come back and, yeah. or, or why don't we, or why don't we schedule another exam in a month, you know, not come back when you want to, but actually say, you know, I'd like to see you in, in a month or two. How about that? Can we work something out? And, and, yeah. and, and not saying like, okay, well, you come back to me when you're ready, because that may not be like, be, be a little bit more proactive about, hey, can we put something on the schedule? I'd like to see you back. And I'd like to see like, or, or if someone really is sick, then you 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 really would want to see them back. Um, you know, if you're treat even if you are treating presumptively, right? You know, they've got some symptoms, but refuse the exam. I said, okay, you can refuse the exam, but you know, you've got some symptoms here, and I want to make sure that we're we've got you covered. And or making, you know, it, it's don't lie, um, but also make genuine reasons to. To, to convey that you care about them and that you want to see them again and that you do care about their health and their well-being. And yeah, and sometimes you might be even worried that they'll be alive <laughs> in a couple well, months for sure. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something else about not presuming. And, and it it is easy to presume that we know what's good or bad for a patient or what's what's their choice or not their choice. And, and um, it's painful when we, we make a mistake on those presumptions and we can, again, re-traumatize a patient. We had a young who had been raped and she was pregnant and she was taken to a clinic where they said, okay, let's get your abortion scheduled. And she said, well, what is that? And they were talking to her, well, you, you're too young. You can't have a baby. This bad. This was an awful situation. And no, funny. You're too young. You can't make up your own decision. And and she kind of ran away. And and they got to us. And we had to. A young girl who's been through that can still have some understanding and choice. So we spent several hours with her and had a really hard discussion about pros and cons of pregnancy at that age and the repercussions of, of the situation that led to that pregnancy and and all of these things. But she wanted to have an informed choice. She didn't yep. want to be told, this happened to you, you're exactly. a victim, therefore I'm going to do this to you to make you better. That wasn't okay. Um, no, she, because you're just forcing, that's someone, that's yet, that okay, she was forced into that initial situation and then the helpers are, are enforcing more decisions on this person. And exactly. that's, that, 
was awful. Right. Yes. I mean, we see this over and over again, not just in healthcare, but we see this over and over again. Yeah. Telling her, you know, what's best for her because of her bad situation is re-victimizing her in a different way. And our, our mentality is not what she needs at that point. She or he needs care, compassion, a listening ear, education and choices. Yeah. And, and an opportunity to say, wait a second, I, I think I understand something. Let me ask now. Um, so, yeah, we've had some learning situations. And, yeah. um, and I, I'm always amazed at how sometimes we think that the trauma people has been through surely would have broken them. Yeah. And what I found most amazing is how people can be resilient and how they can recover and be restored. And sometimes the way they're resilient and recover is not what we would expect. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah. We have to give that opportunity. We can't assume we know what their best way of recovery is. No. I mean, we, but they may not know, but it's our job to to help empower them to know what that way is and presenting options, um, you know, and that, that just goes back to some more, more points. Like don't be a cowboy, don't be a rescuer. Don't try to, don't make promises you can't fulfill and don't try to do things for this person. You're doing things with this person. Uh, you're not gonna rescue someone, you know, you know, some, I mean, you know, the doctors or nurses were in the helping profession and sometimes, you know, overhelping is not helping at all. We're actually We're doing something, doing the worst. Yes. Yeah. We want to come alongside and be available and, and then, and then share from our expertise when it's wanted. Yeah. That's right. Because just because you offer the opportunity to get out, doesn't mean that they're ready. I mean, or they may have been thinking about it, but you know, you've got to always be open and not be offended or angry that they haven't, you know, identified you as their hero. <laughs> Well, and this, I, we don't know the same. The article, and I think you'll attach this to the bottom. It, it, it's the article from the, I think it's the AMA. Um, it's a really good ethics yeah. article. It goes through a lot of scenarios. And That's a good article. know what the safety scenarios are. And sometimes leaving a situation is much more dangerous at that time than staying in it. And if we're not uh, privy to all of the That's right. situations, we can do, again, First, do no harm. Um, it's uh, and we have to be humble enough to recognize what we don't know. That's right. That's right. But I would really encourage everybody to to read through a couple of those articles, specifically the ethics article. Yeah, that's and then a good one. The one the British Columbia article has a lot of good examples, just clinical examples of something that was culturally relevant. Or oh, I said yep. the wrong thing and I didn't realize it. Um, and and go through those and and just start thinking through how to how to be aware and how to think. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, I think it's you know and just um, yeah we'll we'll post those. But I think it's important just for people to know that you know we don't have to have all the answers, and the way that you've been trained to do things isn't necessarily always the right thing, and. Yeah. You know, like you said the last time, the best thing we can do is to keep learning and have a learning attitude, a teachable attitude and and keep learning because especially if you know, you can you can open your eyes up to all kinds of of you you know, I think when I first started, I made a lot of mistakes, right? 
Um, <laughs> and, uh, but always learning and, um, asking forgiveness sort of, yeah, it's like, oh man, I, I messed up there. But, you know, I think it's important that I didn't make the same mistake twice. <laughs> um, and recognizing that. And, uh, if we have that learning, learning attitude, I think it's very, very important. Um, so I'm looking through my notes. I, I think we cover just about everything. Any, yeah. I mean, no, I, I was, there was just one last thought and it has to do with all our discussions about when you ask questions or don't exactly or not our Western mindsets are trained to gold standard medicine and that's not always appropriate. Gold standard is not always appropriate or necessary. And you need to focus on the person in front of you rather than what the gold standard is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think a lot of times also just with the way that I've observed medicine being practiced in a lot of different countries and that it, it really does, you know, it's becoming a lot more formulaic um, and a lot more based on, you know, the billable checkpoints and things like that, or, or it's less personable, um, more directed to electronic medical records or, or whatever, or, or just um, doctors feeling less and less comfortable um, with the person in front of them, with the human <laughs> in front yeah. of them. They're more comfortable with uh, addressing this person as, as a puzzle of, of pathology um, rather than a human. Um, and I think that that's, that's just not for this topic in, in particular, but in general. And I think we're missing a lot. And we will certainly miss a lot of people who desperately need us to see them as whole people and as, as broken people in many different ways. Yeah. So how was that? What'd you think? I hope you learned something. I certainly did. I always learn something talking with Dr. Judy and she has so much to offer. Apologies for the low sound. The internet isn't always so strong coming out of Phnom Penh and we're going to work on uh, some of the technical um, issues for mic, phone, and things like that for the future. But anyway, if you have any future questions or something wasn't quite clear and you really want to know, please get in touch. Get in touch with me anyway about anything. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts or on the YouTube channel. It's all good. Enjoy the day wherever you are, whenever you are, and we'll see you back here next time on The Doctors Are In. Thanks. Ciao.